Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Who is in charge? Who's in charge? We've been in this series, starting this series on the family and working our way through this. And, and I think that probably all of us uh, from time to time in life have seen one of those situations where there are some children who are like out of control. And you know what I mean? I, I don't mean like out of control. I mean out of control, over the top, out of control. And, and you can't figure out what's going on because their parents are present. And the kids are like... And, and so the parents are present and they're either oblivious to what's going on or while everybody else is cringing. Have you ever done, found yourself cringing with what's going on and, and the parents are laughing and saying, aren't they so cute? And you're thinking, who's in charge here? It's like the inmates are running the asylum, you know? And then we've also probably most of us seen at some point in time uh, family situations where it seems like the kids are kind of scared of mom or dad or both of them and, and the parents are very harsh, very stern and to the point where you're kind of concerned about what's going on when the kids are home. And, and so this question of who's in charge, you know, it's like, hmm, who should be in charge? How is this supposed to work? Well, there are really um, two competing approaches to uh, this issue uh, in our culture today. Uh, And one of them is a child-centered approach to parenting. A child-centered approach. And this came about back in the 1920s and 30s. It started with this progressive parenting movement. But it really didn't show up in our our society until uh, the 60s. In the 60s, it really just boomed and and, uh, blossomed. And the idea is this, the child-centered approach to parenting says that children should be the ones making the decisions for their lives. Children should be figuring out things for themselves as opposed to, and by the way, this is largely in reaction to to some of the abuses of parents and and how things went, uh, you know, with some parents. And... um, But it says this, it's like, do, do you want your children to be... Um, self-directed, right? You want your children, when they grow up in adults, we want people who are self-directed. They, they figure out what they need to do and go do it. And the, the uh, child-centered approach to parenting says, okay, well, don't give your children direction. Let them learn how to give themselves direction. Let them figure that out. Uh, we want our children to be active learners, to, to know about, you know, uh, here's things I need to know, I need to understand and go learn them. So they said, well, so don't get in the way of, of teaching them. Let their natural curiosity lead them so that they become active learners on their own. And then uh, we want children who have a moral compass, and they would say, yeah, so don't teach them what's right and wrong because they need to own it for themselves. Let them figure out and make their own decisions about what's right and wrong. And and a lot of this is, is predicated on the idea that these people have who, who buy into the child-centered approach that the children are basically good, that they're born good. And if you just kind of let them, you just help kind of be a guide and a friend that they'll turn out great. 
And uh, of course, we know, the scripture says otherwise, that none of us are born good, right? We're all born with a nature that's self-centered, self-focused, and we sin because of it. Now, uh, a parent-centered approach to life is different than that, obviously. The parent-centered approach to life is saying that uh, parents ought to be making these kinds of decisions, that parents ought to be teaching their child how to direct themselves, and here's the right direction to go in. Parents ought to be teaching their children how to learn so that the children become learners. Parents should be providing moral guidance in a sense of here's what's right and here's what's wrong. And and so we have these two competing approaches. Well, which approach is right? Which approach is better? Well, it's interesting that in in our modern culture, even secular psychiatrists are beginning to come around and and they're writing articles now saying that child-centered parenting doesn't work. And they say it doesn't work is because children don't come into the world equipped with those skills or with the knowledge that they need in order to arrive at good conclusions. They just don't. And so parents need to be more actively involved in directing them. So they said that. But, but you know that nonetheless, this idea of being child-centered, little tentacles have gone off of that way out into our society and culture. And so it's not unusual for a parent uh, who thinks that they are in a parent-directed home to actually be in this area or that area or another area really being child-centered and letting the child, you know, and and it creates problems, okay? Now, on the the parent-centered side, I think probably most of us here today would say, yeah, that makes a whole lot more sense. We we probably think it lines up more with the Bible, and um, so we would say that. But at the same time, what has happened, you don't have to watch the news very long to hear some horror story about abuse, right, that has taken place in homes that are a parent-centered approach. And so the traditional family sometimes is viewed as suspicion because, yeah, you know, it may be abuse going on there. And so society is still mixed on this, what's going on. So which is better? Which is correct? And like I said, I think probably most of us here today would say the parent Centered approach is a much better approach than a child-centered approach. And I agree with that. But I want to put a little bit of a challenging thought to you here today. And that's that the parent-centered approach to parenting really isn't the biblical approach. Here's what I would say to you is a biblical approach. If you could put this one up there, that would be good, uh, Mitchell. A biblical approach, a proper approach, is Christ-centered, parent-directed, kid-friendly. Not parent-centered, Christ-centered, parent-directed, kid-friendly. And what we're going to do here this morning is look at two of those uh, three things very briefly, just to the point, and then we're going to focus in on one of those three and, and spend some time on that and really dig into it. So let's talk, first of all, about Christ-centered approach. What does a Christ-centered approach mean? Well, we really talked about this last week, and if you didn't hear that sermon or see that sermon, I encourage you to go online and do that, because we settled this issue that um, our homes, our families are to be about the Lord. 
They're to be about him. We are to be making disciples in our family. And making disciples means helping ourselves to grow as disciples as we interact and do what God has given us to do. And helping our children to become followers of Christ as well and that they would know him and love him and serve him. And so Christ-centered. And, and we said that this verse in Colossians applies to this situation when it talks about Jesus and says that on all things he might have the preeminence. That includes in your household. Not just at church, but in your household as well, that Christ would be preeminent. And so we're teaching our children the things of God and God's wisdom and passing it on to them. And we see this attitude and this mindset about a Christ-centered home way back in the Old Testament, even before Christ came. But the heart of this matter and the, uh, a clear statement and understanding, Joshua is talking to his fellow Israelites and saying, look, you're going to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. And you're going to make a choice. But he said this. He said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And so Christ-centered approach to parenting. He is Lord of my family. Not just of me, but of our household. Okay. Uh, now, the next one we want to look at is a, a, a proper approach to parenting is kid-friendly. Kid-friendly. Uh, Colossians sets this uh, up pretty clearly when it says this. It says, children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And so it sets it very clear that parents are the ones in charge. They're, they're the ones you know, who are directing. Children are to obey them. But it goes beyond that. It says, listen. Dads, and, and for our purposes today, we're going to include moms. Parents, be careful how you do this because you can discourage your children. You can work against it. And, and so what we're seeing here is that um, this parent-directed parenting has to include concern about what's going on in the child's life. What's going on in the child's heart? You know, this is a place that, uh, out of the three of these things, Christ-centered, parent-directed, uh, kid-friendly, this one is the one, if I could go back and do it over again, I would pay more attention to. I would pay more attention to how is my child feeling about what's happening? Because how they're feeling affects how they, you know, interpret what's going on. And, and so really getting into that, caring. And, and Proverbs talks about this. And one example in Proverbs 23, 26, which is where the father says, my son, give me your heart. Not just your obedience. Give me your heart. I want to know you. I want to understand you. And I want you to connect with me. And I want to walk through life with you. So Christ-centered kid-friendly, and that brings us to the one I really want to focus on today, and that is a proper approach to parenting is parent-directed. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard this verse preached on and probably read it for yourself. Proverbs 22 is page 750 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. If you don't have your own Bible, we would encourage you to take one of those and follow along with us. Proverbs 22, verse number 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, or the way she should go. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, several things we want to see here. 
And this verse says, train up a child. Um, this means parents are to be actively involved, actively, consciously, on purposely involved in raising up their child. You know, I find it's pretty easy in life, and, and certainly when we had, we had six kids, and so we had a bunch of kids at home that at one time in our life, it's very easy for life to become, okay, the alarm clock went off, and it's time to get up and do what I need to do now, and then it was, you know, get the kids ready, and then have breakfast, and, and then someone's got to go to work, and someone has to get the kids off or to school or to whatever we're doing. Uh, you know, and an appointments, and then supper comes, and get ready for bed, and, and you just go through life just doing stuff. Well, this verse right here tells us that we ought not go through life just doing stuff. That we ought to, on purpose, consciously think about training our children as we do all this stuff. Sometimes that might mean very specifically, very focused, sit down, have a conversation training, open a Bible kind of training, practice a skill kind of training. Other times that training is going to be as you go along, while you're doing what you're doing. But you aren't just doing it anymore, you're thinking about, now what does my child need to understand here? What do they need to know? How do I need to connect with my child here? What's going on? And it becomes a very conscious, very purposeful training. And if... We're going to look at it in a little bit, but here's the thing. You are training your child one way or another. You're either training them on purpose or you're training them by accident. Okay? And what I'm telling you is the Bible here says that we ought to be training them on purpose. Now, it gives us a promise here that, that in when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we all know that our children, they have a free will just like we do. And so there are no ironclad guarantees that if we do the best we can, that they will always follow the Lord. They do make their own decisions at some point, okay? But I do want to tell you what the Word of God is telling you. It's telling that when you very purposefully and consciously train your children, it is going to stick with them for the rest of their life. Even if they, at some point in their life, are not following the Lord, you know what they have? They have all that training. It's always there. And they're aware of it. They're having to interact with it within their own hearts and minds. It's not gone. It's not gone. And really, the better a job we do at training, much, much more likely that our children will still be following the Lord when they are adults. Now, this training also, I want you to see this is not generic training. Okay? There is a sense in which there's generic training. In other words, every child needs to know how to, right? Whatever those things are. Every child should understand that this is right and this is wrong. Yes, we have that kind of training. But this very specific says train up a child in not, it, let's see what it doesn't say. It doesn't say train up a child in the way that children ought to go. Right? So that's generic. No, it says train up a child in the way that what? He ought to go or the way that she ought to go. And so this training is not just generic, it's also personal. If this is where you have to connect with your child's heart and to get to know this child. And this includes um, not only spiritual things, because every child should learn who God is and what that means in their lives and how can I have a relationship with God? How can I have my sins forgiven? How can I have his life? How do I live by his wisdom? How, and all those things we're training. But then there's also this sense when you look at your children and interact with them, you begin to discover that, wow, this child is really wired differently than this child. 
So what does that mean in his or her life? And what does God want to do? This might be abilities we're talking about. This might be personalities we're talking about. Uh, Whatever the uniquenesses are of that child. And so it is our job as parents to help this child figure out where am I supposed to go in life? What kinds of things am I supposed to be doing in my life? You know, this one's cut out to be a college professor. This one's cut out to be a plumber. And I don't mean us deciding those specific things. But what we do is we work with our children and help them to learn to seek God. God, what do you want me to do with my life? To seek God's wisdom and begin to apply it to the situations in their lives so that they end up where they're supposed to be in life. See, so as parents, we have a generic training we have to do, and then we have to really lean into our children's lives and connect at a heart level and understand who they are and who God made them to be and help them get where God wants them to be. Okay? But it's very much parent directed. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Um, and before we look at this verse, let me just go back and, and, and talk about that again, that idea, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Um, I, you know, I used to think, well, if I could just do that perfectly, then my child would absolutely turn out right. Then it hit me one day. God is the perfect father, isn't he? Is God a perfect father? Do his kids mess up? Okay, so that verse, I think, is a promise. You train your children, it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a lasting difference. But they still may make choices to go against that, okay? Because God's children do too. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And in this passage, we see all three of those aspects of a biblical approach to parenting. We see this Christ-centered because it's the training and the admonition of who? Of the Lord. It's about the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay? Christ-centered. It is also parent-directed because children are told to obey the parents and the parents are told to train and then it's also kid-friendly because, again, don't provoke your children to wrath. So that's all three are here. But what I really want to focus in on here is, again, what are parents to be doing? Again, it says fathers, but let's apply that to parents in general for our purposes here today. That we are to bring up our children in the training and admonition of the Lord. So what does that include? Like everything, right? <laughs> Bring them up. What does God say about things? What does he say about how we're supposed to live? What does he say about wisdom? What does he say about things that we ought not do? What does he say about all sorts of things like this? And admonition is that, that gentle warning and said, hey, you know, you, this isn't what God wants and, and we need to make some adjustments here. And this is a huge, huge job. It's not a matter of a handful of verses I gotta live by, I'm a parent. No, we are to instill in our children what? The whole counsel of God. It is just, there are so many, many things involved that sometimes it's kind of overwhelming to think about. Now, you could use some help with this. 
If you're a parent, you can use the help with this. If you're a grandparent, you could use some help with this. If you're going to be a parent, you could use some help with this. If you had parents, you could use some help understanding what's gone on in your own life and how that has affected you. What I want to do today is something I don't normally do, but I'm going to make a recommendation to you. Okay? I'm going to recommend that next to your Bible, and Bible is your absolute most important thing, but I would recommend that you pick up this book. Okay, a disciple-making parent. That's what we are to be. And this book, written by a friend of mine, and he just, he just covers so many, many practical things. And he, he captures not just the information, but the heart. And uh, it's such a, uh, I wish I'd had this when my children were little and studied. I studied a lot of stuff, but this one's just so thorough. And like I said, it's more than just the facts, it really captures the heart issues as well. And uh, this normally $13.99, we still have a couple left at our Connection Center table you can have for $8. We got a real good deal on them, okay? So I would encourage you to pick that up. And I didn't say this earlier, but let me say, this sermon for parents, yeah. But if you're here today and you're not a parent, there are plenty of things that we're talking about that have application into your life anyway. Uh, if you're a grandparent, that's very clear. You can help your, your kids as they raise their kids. Uh, if you're not a parent yet, but you think you be, there's things to learn. But really, understanding the whole impact of parenting sometimes helps us understand why we feel the way we do because of how we were parented or not parented, as the case may be. And it, it helps us understand how do we get where we are. And so there's something, uh, things along the way here. So open your heart to the Lord and he will speak to you about these kinds of things. So, parent-directed raising the children. Um, There's some things that you need to understand if you're going to do this. Um, Let me see here, just a moment. Yeah, let me talk about that. So, it seems that God, it doesn't seem, it is. God has put parents in charge, right? He's given parents... The authority. Why did he give parents the authority? Well, first of all, because he's given them the responsibility. And when he gives them the responsibility to, to train up your children so that they know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord, train up these children so that they will be faithful and effective followers of Christ. You have that responsibility. You need the authority to be able to make decisions. And so God gave you that authority. But understand that the reason he gave you that authority is because he gave you the responsibility. He didn't give you authority just to have authority. He gave you authority for a reason. And that's for you to faithfully fulfill the responsibilities that he's given you. Now, as you go about trying to faithfully fulfill these responsibilities, there's some things that you you need to understand. And the first one is this, that as parents... You are training your children one way or another, for good or for bad. You are training them. You're either training them on purpose or you're training them by accident. And here's something that you need to understand is that when all is said and done and your children grow up and move out into the world, they are going to be a lot like you. Oh, they may look different on the outside and choose a different course, it seems like, in life. But at the heart level, at the character level, they're going to be a lot like you. 
And Jesus said this when he was talking about making disciples. He said this. He says, the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And so when you have fully trained your children, wait, wait, when have you fully trained your children? When they, well, yeah, right. When they finally leave home and they're out on their own and responsible directly to God and not to you anymore. You have fully trained. You have completed and you either did that training on purpose, consciously, the way we talked about, or you've done it by accident. And just whatever happened, happened. But when this truth hit me years ago that, wait a minute, my children are going to be a lot like me, that was a pretty scary thought. And it made me realize I better pay attention to me. I better make sure that I am becoming who it is that I need to be. My relationship with God. If I want to pass on a relationship with God, I have to make sure I have a relationship with God. And, and so here's the second thing you've got to understand. Uh, it's not only will your children, you know, you're going to train them one way or another, but um, you can't give away what you don't have. You can't instill in your children what is not instilled in you, okay? You can't be living one way, a different way, and then telling your kids something different. Here's the deal. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. That's a really bad approach to parenting, okay? It's not gonna work. I bet some of you in here would say today that yeah, my parents dropped me off at church, right? But you can't pass on what you don't have. You have to make sure that in your own life, you're growing. Some interesting statistics related to this when it comes to church attendance. Uh, one particular study found that, uh, and this is, excuse me, this is studies with respect to how parents' level of participation in church affected their children's level of participation when they became adults, okay? When both parents were faithful and active in the church, 93% of their children remained faithful. They were able to pass that on to their children. When just one parent was faithful, 73% of their children remain faithful. Now, that's a 20% difference, but I got to tell you, I was like, I was kind of impressed. You know, that's really, if you have one faithful parent, it's likely that three-fourths of the kids will still follow the Lord. There's still some power of parenting, doesn't it? Okay? Um, then when neither parent was particularly active in church, I mean, they, they were parchers, but they weren't really active in it, only 53% of their children stayed faithful. And in those instances where neither parent was active at all and they only attended church once in a while, the percentage of children who remained faithful dropped to 6%. Okay? You can't give away what you don't have. And I'm a little bit concerned about this, honestly, because current statistics show that uh, the average churchgoer attends church 1.7 times a month. Less than half the time. What's that going to do in their children's lives? You know, it used to be three, four times a month. So you need to be living out what you're giving out or you won't be able to give it out. So as parents, you're training your children one way or another for good or bad. And then secondly, you can't pass on to your children what you don't have. Now, your kids have... Kids have lots of relationships in life, right? They have relationships with their parents, but not just with their parents. Kids have relationships with grandparents. Kids have relationships with extended family. They have relationships with their siblings. They have relationships with their friends. Well, which relationship is the most important in their lives? It might surprise you. 
And here's what I want to say to you today. That the most important human relationship, I'm not talking about God, the most important human relationship in your child's life is your marriage relationship. It's not even a relationship that the child has. It's your relationship as husband and wife. Now, if you're thinking with me, you must have questions. There must be things that pop up in your head and say, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. What, what about kids who don't have married parents, right? There's no parent, there's only one parent home. There's no, there isn't a marriage there. You know, either divorced or maybe never married or widowed. There's no parent. How does that work? What about homes where you have, uh, you know, uh, blended families and step-parents involved, all this kind of stuff? What, what's the deal there? Well, here's a, we're going to try to verify this. We're going to dig down into this. But let me say to you this, that the very fact that if you're not married as a parent brings significant issues into your life that you are going to have to deal with. And so the fact that your, your marriage relationship doesn't exist is a very, very important factor in what goes on in your house and how you raise your children. Same thing if you've married and remarried or divorced and remarried, all of these things. They, this brings issues into life which work against you trying to raise your children to know, love, and serve God. Now, I mean to say to you, I, I don't want anybody to lose hope here because these problems are not insurmountable. By God's grace and wisdom and your cooperation with that and hard work and keeping after and diligence, you can overcome an awfully lot of that stuff. Just because some, the, the child doesn't have this proper marriage relationship in his or her life doesn't mean that they're doomed. But it does mean there will be issues that will have to be faced and addressed. God's way. So these problems are not insurmountable, but they are inescapable. Does that make sense? They can't be overcome, but you will deal with them. You won't escape. You will deal with them. Now, the reason that this is true, I mean, God tells us that this is true. In Malachi chapter 2, talking about uh, really challenging these people not to divorce and to work on their marriage. He says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. Remember, your marriage relationship is about God. And what does he want? What does God want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And what he's saying here is that you need to work on your marriage because the condition of your marriage impacts how you're going to try to raise godly children. It's going to impact your ability to do that. It's going to impact the difficulty of doing that. Because the most important human relationship in your child's life is your marriage relationship. Um, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow sometimes when you think about it. But I am convinced that it's true. Um, the condition of your marriage is going to affect a bunch of things. The condition of your marriage is going to affect your child's sense of security and view of the world. 
When a child is at home with both biological parents married to each other, there is a built-in stability to life. And whether or not a child feels secure affects how he then looks at the rest of life and what he expects to happen in life and how he thinks things are going to work. And so when that stability disappears, the child is really affected. It affects how he or she views the world. The condition of your marriage will affect how your children deal with life's difficulties. Okay? Once again, let me just say, these things are not insurmountable, but they are realities that you will deal with. Listen to this. This is a, some statistics on how children fare in traditional homes versus broken homes. This is from uh, Psychology Today and the Center for Law and Social Policy. Children of divorce are more than twice as likely to have serious social, emotional, or psychological problems. Okay? Children raised in intact married families are more likely to attend college, are physically and emotionally healthier, less likely to be physically or sexually abused, less likely to use drugs or alcohol and to commit delinquent behaviors, and they have a decreased risk of divorcing when they get married and they are less likely to become sexually active as teenagers. A child living, listen, this, these statistics are, are horrendous, okay, but a child living with a single mother is 14 times more likely to suffer serious abuse than a child living with married biological parents, 14 times. If that mother is living with a man, she's not married to, is not the child's father, it becomes 33 times more likely that her child will be abused. That's terrible. Children of so-called good divorces, right? It was a good divorce. It was amicable or whatever. Children of so-called good divorces fare worse emotionally than children who grow up in unhappy but low-conflict marriages. Parents aren't particularly happy married. Those kids do better than the ones who have a good divorce. Compared to children who are raised by their married parents, children in other family types are more likely to achieve lower levels of education, to become teen parents, to experience health behavior and mental health problems. And, and get this, the effects of divorce on children often last through adulthood. For instance, adult children of divorce are more likely to experience depression and their own divorces, as well as earn less income, achieve lower levels of education compared with adults whose parents remained married. So some conclusions they reached here. Uh, the institution of marriage helps to create the most likely conditions for the development of factors that children need most to thrive. Consistent, stable, loving attention from two parents who cooperate and who have sufficient resources and support from two extended families, two sets of friends, and on and on. And while these conditions sometimes exist in other family circumstances, they are much less likely to. Children thrive best in a traditional home where both parents are married to each other and stay married to each other. Now, what about... A child who is not in a home where the parents are, you know, the parents are not happily married and there is conflict, okay? 
Well, if we start talking about a family, a couple who just do not want to be married, they do not love each other, and they do not, you know, want to work on it, they're refusing to work on it, and it is high conflict, you know what I mean? It is loud, it is out front, the, the fear of violence, all that kind of stuff. If a child is going up to that place, yeah, that child's probably better off if those parents divorced and something else happens to the child. Because those parents are being nothing but selfish and taking care of themselves. Now, about two-thirds of those who, who get divorced are not in that situation. About two-thirds are couples who are just unhappy. They aren't happy with each other right now. They, they don't see how they're going to get happy. And it's a, there's conflict, but it's low-level conflict. And, and so they decide to get divorced. But we've already seen what does that do to kids? What does that do to them? It's just terrible for them. And so in our society, we have this problem. We tend to think that the only solution to an unhappy marriage, a marriage that doesn't seem real healthy, the only solution is divorce. And that's just not true. You can go get marriage counseling. You can work on a marriage. And you probably should. You say, well, man, I mean, I got to live with this? Well, maybe you do. Because you know what? To make a marriage work, sometimes you got to sacrifice. To raise your children up, to provide your children with a healthy home to grow up in, you may have to sacrifice. Now, let me encourage you with something here. There was a study done of couples who were just like I'm talking about, unhappy. There was this low level of conflict. They didn't, you know, didn't know if they wanted to stay married. But... This study of couples, they decided to stay married. Five years later, 86% of them said that they were now happily married. 60% said not only were they happily married, they were quite happy or very happy. And when the researchers looked to see what's the cause of this, you know, what is the one thing that stands uh, very clear that they did? And you know what it came down to? They just stayed together. Wow. People divorce way too quickly. They really do. And it hurts and damages the children. So, uh, your children's, how they deal with life's difficulties, you know, your marriage condition affects that. And, and really, here's the final thing here. Your, the condition of your marriage affects your children's willingness to accept your faith as their faith. Because you know what? If it ain't working for you, and we're not talking about as parents, you're going to be perfect. No, you don't got to be perfect. In fact, if you put that thing on there, you're going to mess everybody in the household up too. It's not about being perfect, it's about being real and saying, okay, God, here we are. We, we need help. It's about being open with your children. Yeah, we're working on this because we're going to honor God. Yeah, and sometimes it's hard for us. And, but you know what? We, we love God and we love each other we, and we're going to work on this. And, and what do they see? The kids learn, wow. When you have problems, what do you do? You lean into the Lord and you work on it and you keep after it. The condition of your marriage will affect your children's willingness to accept your faith as their faith. There's a study done by the National, it's called the National Study on Youth and Religion. 
And here was their conclusion. They say the evidence clearly shows that the single most important social influence on the religious and spiritual lives of adolescents is their parents. And that includes your, the condition of your marriage as parents. God has given us a big job, hasn't he? We desperately need his help, his strength, his wisdom. And, and that all comes out of what we've talked about here today. Let me encourage you. God has given you a tremendous opportunity to train up your children to know God and to love him and serve him. And you're not going to do it perfectly, but God will use you. And he'll do great things through you as you take these things to heart. He put you in charge. Be faithful with that. Father, we come to you now and thank you for your word and that you speak to us plainly about these things. I pray, Father, that we, as we look at our own lives and maybe some of the things that are hard and certainly the culture around us doesn't support the things we're talking about here today. And I pray, Father, that you'd give us a, um, a yieldingness to you and a resolve to be faithful. And we look forward to you working in our lives to accomplish what you've given us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.